Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello everybody and welcome to yet another episode of the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show, coming at you live from the very snowy Channel Island of Guernsey. I'm your host and my name is Adam Bayfield and with me as always is my sidekick Tony Kerr who joins me via Skype because it's so snowy we can't actually make it to the studio. Are you there Tony? Good evening Adam, yeah. You know, I may be not in the same room as you but I'm still going to dispute this sidekick nonsense that you keep spouting in the intro. How are you doing? Are you not so- very well. It feels, like, it feels like an actual kind of disaster episode. Of the creature, <laughs> it? It's weird, it's like... I've never skyped you before. I know, yeah, it's quite odd, isn't it? It kind of is a disaster, isn't it? Snowmageddon. I mean, it's a very, very low-key disaster. Is that the hashtag you're using? Yeah, hashtag Snowmageddon. It is blizzard conditions in Gens, isn't it? I, I mean, I'd say it's, I think it's probably the most extreme weather we've ever had. It is the. It's definitely the worst snow in our lifetime, isn't it? And we're just, you know, we're just about to leave primary school, so that's quite a few years. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty bad, though. I mean, yeah, you know, people are using expressions like "living memory." Worst snow <laughs> in fifty years is what I'm hearing. Yeah, we, we just don't really get snow, do we? I mean, it, we, it is a. We're an island, a maritime climate. <laughs> just never really have snow. I was, I was going to make some gag about you know how snow is the only other thing that gets those uh, gets those kind of those phrases going in people. Uh, other than us, because people say like the World Creature, you know, the best podcast in living memory and stuff like that. The best podcast in Guernsey in the last fifty years. <laughs> before, before the last sort of five years, there, <laughs> there weren't any. So, no. but what's it been like for you, Snowmageddon? Interesting. Yeah, it's been busy. Uh, I had to set off for work. This, I mean, you've been slacking, haven't you? You haven't, you haven't done any work. Well, I've had a snow but, day. <laughs> I can see you smiling. Uh, <laughs> No, I had to set off for work this morning about, well, got up at quarter past four, hit the road for half four, trudging through the snow. Just to make it to work in time. Just to get to work in time, just, you know, and then... Because uh, it is actually really bad, it's worth pointing out, like, we, we, you know, as I say, we never get snow here, but and the snow we've had has been extraordinary, like, the roads are impassable, every, like, everything's been cancelled, most businesses are shut. But not yours. So I feel like we've had a very contrasting couple of days because uh, yeah, you've been like manically stressful at work, and I've just had a snow day. I've been out today having a walk, building a snowman, throwing snowballs. It's been a great time. Yeah, it's been quite fun. I went out yesterday and did some did, reported on the snow in a four by four, which was quite fun. Just potted about the, the kind of higher parishes, uh, cracking gags about the snow. We're attempting <laughs> to anyway. I mean, can I can I say this? I mean, because you work for the radio station here. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, listeners will be surprised to hear that I'm the one who works at the radio station. <laughs> <laughs> of the two of us. Yeah, you're the professional uh, in this outfit. Yeah, yeah, you might be surprised to hear. Uh, but yeah, just yeah, out and about, pushing cars out the, uh, yeah, pushing cars that were trapped. Oh, I did great. that today on 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 the way back after my walk. Yeah, car stuck in a snowdrift. We pushed it out, and then the guy. I mean, I can sort of understand it because he'd got his car free. So he didn't want to stop to get out to thank us, <laughs> but he just drove off. So like, we just kind of watched him disappear into the distance. It's like, no, you're welcome, mate. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> well, I drive a very small car, rescued it today because I had to abandon it on my way home from work yesterday. Went and rescued it today. Uh, but it's so light that I can just push it myself. So it got stuck a couple of times uh, in a kind of bad patches of, uh, of ice. And I just got out and pushed it, you know, 10 yards myself. <laughs> well, it's worth pointing out that um, you drive a Segway. You do- <laughs> I've got to say, because uh, I've, I've heard you on the radio over the last couple of days. Cause, uh, Are you I- listening? Well, I never really listen to the local radio here because I'm just not interested in your career at all. But <laughs> not, not appreciating my work. <laughs> but because, like, I, I am genuinely looking for snow updates and you're the one providing them, uh, which, is, which is something that's quite odd. But I have to say, Tim, 
when you speak on the radio, no mumbling, very coherent, <laughs> uh, like sound quite professional. But then for some reason on the World Cricket Show, it's not always the case. <laughs> but it's just your leadership, mate. I think. <laughs> <laughs> You're just not inspired. Not inspired here. Well, it's going to be even worse today because you you do sort of keep dropping in and out on Skype. So if one of <laughs> your, trying. if the punchline to one of your gags goes missing, uh, that's, <laughs> that's going to be tragic. I'll have a reason to do it. Yeah. Uh, but it has been, yeah, it's been pretty interesting, that's for sure. Uh, the trouble is with Guernsey, obviously, as you're well aware, when this kind of thing happens, we become completely cut off. So there were no boats yesterday because it was too windy for them to get in. And also the airport's closed. And I'm off on Thursday on a very important social engagement. Yeah, so now it's just now watch, you know, snow watching because, uh, yeah, the airport's closed. And how long is it going to be closed for? That's the, the question. It may never open again at this rate, I don't uh, but yeah, we're having to Skype this episode. There's just no way that we're going to uh, be able to make it up to the studio. Um, I'm enjoying it. I can just sit in the comfort of my own home. I know we have got video switched on, though, so do remember at all times that I can see you. When I'm like going on doing the scorecard roundup uh, of the various <laughs> test matches, if you just get up and wander off and open like a packet of Skittles or something, I will be able to see you doing that. But yeah, we've had to postpone this. We were planning to record yesterday then we thought we'd, we'd delay it because maybe the conditions would be better uh, which they're not but i posted something on twitter yesterday saying that we were postponing the show uh, due to snow just got a tweet back from at night watchman he said that's terrible form i demand a three-point presentation showing where you can improve and show you're working it's a reference of course to uh what's going on in australian cricket what's been going on this week so maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later on just with the the snow that's going on, this is one one thing that I've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed. Have you ever noticed this, Tone? I might actually... Th- I mean, this sounds like a stand-up trope. I think I might actually be plagiarising a stand-up comedian's bit here. I'm not sure. But uh, it's something that I've definitely noticed everyone's doing. As I say, the conditions have been bad for a couple of days, but the forecast was only ever for a, a couple of days, for like two days of really bad conditions. And um, on Sunday, when the, the forecast was, you know, snow closing in tomorrow... Everyone was like rushing to the supermarket to stock up, but people like go way over the top. And instead of just buying like milk and bread, people are like, "Well, I'm not going to be able to get to the supermarket for a couple of days. I better buy coriander." And, like <laughs> come back clutching like six bags of lemons <laughs> because they're like, "Well, I won't be able to get to the supermarket till Wednesday." I, I don't know. Is that is that from a stand up routine? I'm not sure. I've got some material about. <laughs> I've got some material about a man drawer in a minute. So. I was in the supermarket today and people are just like loading their trolleys with like six packs of huge bottles of water and stuff. <laughs> As if like, you know, all water has frozen and there's no access to clean drinking water. As you say, it's like there has been an actual disaster. I mean, conditions are bad, but ultimately it is just a bit of snow. It's just the fact that we're so totally unprepared for it here because it never happens. Well, uh, well, can I interest you in what's coming up on the show today, Tane? As well as uh, talking about that stuff that's been happening out in India, that startling development off the field uh, in the Australian camp, Uh, we will also be discussing in a minute uh, the draw in the test match in Dunedin. Lots of talking points to have emerged from that game. So that sounds like quite a lot to talk about, doesn't it? So we should probably get on with it. Wait for this. There's snow time to waste. Pay attention, Tone. Try not to drift off. <laughs> this isn't it. Brilliant. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm feeling a bit flaky tonight, so I could, I could melt away at any moment. <laughs> it's amazing that people that we're not asking <laughs> people to pay for this, isn't it? England. This is the part of the show where we talk about England. Now, England's test series in New Zealand got up and running this week at the University Oval in Dunedin. New Zealand won the toss and asked England to bat first. The opening day was completely washed out. Then when England finally did get in on the second day, uh, they capitulated in astonishing fashion to be bowled out for 167 in 55 overs on a very flat wicket, four wickets apiece for Neil Wagner and the veteran spinner Bruce Martin on debut. Uh, New Zealand, in response, then put together an opening partnership of 158. That propelled them up to a total of 460 for nine, declared Hamish Rutherford on debut with 171. Debut. Debut. 
indeed. Which was a first innings lead of 293. England were left needing to bat for almost two days to save the game. Uh, which looked like a bit of a tall order, even on a very flat surface. But they managed to do it. Hundreds for Alistair Cook and Nick Compton, his maiden test ton. And half centuries also for Jonathan Trott and Steve Finn uh, as a night watchman. He batted for 286 minutes, 203 balls, as England survived 170 overs to end up 421 for six, when finally proceedings were called to halt at the end of the fifth day. So in the end, a bit of a tame draw. Yeah, this was quite a curious test match in some ways, I thought so. And it had a bit of a, a strange feel to it. I think at least partly because of where it was played. Um, University Oval is a, a pretty atypical venue for test cricket. Uh, you know, it's very small, um, temporary seating, trees all around it. It just looks like they're playing in the park. Yeah, it looks like. It, look, I mean, it looks like one of the grounds we have in Guernsey, to be honest. It does, in fact. What I thought was quite odd about it is that it, it really sort of makes you realise that Test cricket is actually the same game that you play when you play cricket. I don't know if you know what I mean, like because normally when you watch it on television, it's really far removed from like club cricket or village cricket, um, you know, in massive stadiums and stuff. But here, with it, you know, this real, real kind of echoey sound off the bat, trees everywhere. Yeah, yeah, you're like, oh, this is the same game, just of, at a higher level. Yeah, like the low, the kind of like low angle shots of the batsmen. You know, in the background, people are just milling around. Like, you can't see any stands or anything. They may as well just be you know, playing in the park. And I actually wondered, you know, for, for a brief moment, I wondered, where, was it actually just the second warm up game? Had Crick Info got the listing wrong? You know? <laughs> Did everyone, you know, because everyone obviously reads Crick Info, so they, they probably saw, you know, first test and thought, oh, it must be the first test. Well, it looked like a bit of a village game at one point, didn't it? It was a bit of a village. <laughs> batting display from England in their first innings. Actually, I mean, talking about the the smallness of the ground, it, in many ways it was really cool. Like, you wouldn't necessarily want it for every test match that's ever played, but, you know, it was, it felt like a very intimate venue. There were a lot of close-ups of players and coaches and their families, uh, and there was something really nice about that, if a little bit odd. Um, it just made for a bit of a different test match experience. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, there was nothing more annoying, though, than the rain on day one. I mean, repeatedly, we've said to each other, God, how, how glorious does New Zealand look? Uh, why have we not gone? And then, literally, yeah, sit down, like, clear the decks uh, for the first session of Test Cricket and the bloody things washed out. What was your assessment of the game? What narrative was you identified, do you think? Was it, ultimately, was it a tale of uh, England resilience and resistance, fighting Rags back? Rags to riches. Rags to riches, <laughs> fighting back when they were under the cosh. Uh, or did they get away with one here? Was this a case of rain and a shockingly flat pitch saving them from a, an embarrassing defeat? What? Where would you hang your hat out of those two options? Do I only get two options? Yeah, you're not allowed to say somewhere in the middle. I, but, yeah, I just, no, a lot of credit has to go to New Zealand, for sure. I don't know if you could say England got away with it because, well, I guess to a certain extent they got away with it, but in many ways, you know, they might have batted, uh, they might have put on quite a few more runs in their second inning. So, I mean, clearly the pitch was... A bit of a yeah, a bit of a, a joke in some respects, but yeah, that that first innings was just very bizarre. It was an absolutely appalling display in the first innings. I I honestly can't recall a worse day of Test cricket for England ever. I mean, I, yeah, I think they were they were bowled out for one sixty seven, and then at the end of the day, New Zealand were one hundred and thirty six for none. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's just spectacularly one sided. But but not only just in terms of the the scorecard and the match situation at the end of the game. But just the way England batted, I mean, it was a performance of startling ineptitude on a pitch that good against New Zealand, who have a very decent bowling attack, but, you know, it's not one of the best in the world necessarily. To get bowled out for 167 was hopeless. And the worst thing about it is that nine out of ten dismissals, as far as I'm concerned, were self-inflicted, including, you know, Alistair Cook slapping to backward point, Ian Bell just chipping one to short extra cover, Jonathan Trott uh, top-edging a sweep, several players caught on the boundary. It really wasn't a case of New Zealand scything through England. It wasn't an especially brilliant display from New Zealand. It was just England were awful. We got a question on Facebook from uh, James Travers, who said, so in the end, England's first innings total turned out to be an anomaly. Both teams went on to make big totals on the same pitch against the same bowlers, etc, etc. Since you have both been part of more than your fair share of batting collapses in the past, could you please help me and the other listeners to understand what's going on when this kind of thing happens. Yeah, I can offer an insight into batting collapses at the lowest level of cricket. 
uh, where there's absolutely no pressure at all. But yeah, I guess sometimes you do just get on a run, don't you? I mean, in our in our instance, uh, our batting collapses were because we were the mentally the worst team that's ever played cricket, probably. Coupled with a glaring lack of ability. I was going to say, that. added to that was a, <laughs> a staggering technical frailty as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it was a perfect storm, and it's no wonder we got absolutely humiliated time and time again. Yeah, so in, in many ways, the first inning, first innings of a series is probably the time you'd most expect uh, a batting collapse of this nature because, you know, some new players for England to face, you know, there were some debutants in the New Zealand team, obviously a lot of chat about how cooked England were. Probably the vast majority of people seem to think England were undercooked. So, yeah, maybe it's not so much of a surprise. But then again, obviously, England, the England batting line up pretty classy, should have done better regardless of the conditions and their warm-up. It's actually quite an interesting phenomenon in cricket, isn't it? The the collapse. Because it, it's not always correlated to the ability of the batsman or the ability of the bowlers or the nature of the pitch. It's, it is very often um, something that takes place almost exclusively in the minds of the batsman. And once a collapse starts, it can be quite hard to stop. You get this sort of collective panic that sets in. And in addition to that, a collective surging of confidence in the, in the fielding side as well and you know they start to feel like they're going to take a wicket with every ball I mean in in this particular case you could probably make an argument that it might have been overconfidence on England's part you know maybe they felt that there was no danger of them getting bowled out like this and that that might have contributed to it and maybe something that might have played a part as well was the fact that it came after an entire day of the match was lost to rain and, and given that England were very very confident that they were going to win this game I'm sure they were very, very confident that they were still going to win the game after losing that opening day. Perhaps they were so confident that they could still win the game and so intent on winning the game that they were trying to score 350, 400 on the opening day, you know, trying to really move the game along. And that might at least partially explain why so many of those batsmen threw their wickets away, trying to force the pace, because th- there was no need to play most of those shots. They really were sort of unnecessarily attacking. Um, yeah, I mean, even Cook, you'd think, not the kind of shot you traditionally expect him to play early on in the innings. But then again, I think, you know, these kind of collapses not helped or, or often will be triggered by, uh, you know, just like Peterson's, you know, getting getting a big player like that first ball. Yeah, arguably not much Peterson could have done about it, really, apart from get bat on it. It was a great delivery from Wagner, wasn't it? Uh, you know, and, that's, and that kind of sets things off. So those Wagner jokes, you know, shorter shelf life than the Harlem Shake, it was already too late to make any gags about Wagner and the X Factor by the time he'd taken Peterson's wicket. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have made a Wagner joke <laughs> sometime after that. Yeah, I mean, it, as I say, it was a startling collapse, um, but it's not necessarily something that's out of character as far as this England team is concerned. They do appear to have a problem getting themselves into Test Series in recent years. This is the fourth consecutive tour where they've been bowled out for less than 200 um, in the first innings of the first test. And the poor run stretches back further than that as well. Didn't get bowled out for less than 200, but the tour before that was the Ashes 2010, where they had to really fight back uh, in Brisbane, if you remember, and ultimately fought, fought back brilliantly. But again, we're on the back foot after the first innings. In fact, England haven't won the first test of a series away from home since South Africa in 2004, which is a long time. So this isn't an isolated incident and it is something that needs to be addressed and it does appear that Andy Flower is looking to address it. He's made some comments this week saying that it's something they're thinking about but it's tough to know what to suggest because it just seems to be a case of England not being at the races mentally and I don't know how much more, how many more warm-up games would uh, would change that. Yeah, I mean, there were players who hadn't played you know, for a few months on their Compton in uh, that first innings uh, failing and he hadn't played for a while. I mean, it, it was... Quite amusing. Obviously, we predicted both predicted comfortable England wins in the series, uh, and it might still pan out that way. But in the, the pre-match uh, on day one, anyway, the pre-match and then the, the chat whilst the uh, whilst the rain delay was in process, if you like, uh, Alex Stewart was talking about ten nil, ten nil England wins back to back Ashes series. This guy, I've never seen a man so confident as Alex Stewart. <laughs> It was extraordinary. And it was a tremendous fight back in the second innings. They really did turn that game around. I mean, it's easy to say, I think, at the end of the game that it was a really flat pitch and, you know, it's no achievement for England to, to bat for 170 overs um, on such a flat pitch. But they still had to do it. They, they had to bat for two days. They had to bat for all those overs to make the game safe. And when they came to the crease on the fourth morning, 
there weren't too many people who were backing them to do it after what had happened in the first innings and just the scoreboard pressure that was on them, you know, 293 runs behind on first innings, regardless of the pitch. That is a tall order. Uh, Cook was brilliant once again. Steve Finn was brilliant, batting 286 minutes. Again, regardless of the pitch, for a, for a night watchman to do that is, is a fantastic effort. Uh, but you'd have to say that an awful lot of the credit for the turnaround has to go to Nick Compton, who batted superbly. Genuinely emotional scenes when he got to his 100. I don't know if you saw that moment, but his dad uh, was crying. And, uh, you know, and the, the, the sense of relief that kind of poured off Compton when, it, when he got there was... Uh, was uh, something to see. Uh, were you impressed with his knock, Tim? Yeah, it was great. I mean, it, it was, I thought, strange, uh, but not necessarily surprising that people, uh, a lot of people were calling for Compton's head uh, after he got kind of duck in the first innings, you know. Were they? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't notice any of that. Were you detecting that? I didn't notice the commentators talking about that all the time. But it's just it's just ridiculous, isn't it? He, he, did, he did really well in India, as we, we said last time. He was, uh, you know, it's a really tough place to go and make going to make your debut and he came out of it having shown really good character and actually batted pretty well at at times so him getting a duck in the first innings wasn't really caught too much cause for concern I don't think and yeah he went and did the business in the second innings just got obviously he wanted just one more run than Cook just to outscore him and he was happy (laughs) well it was perhaps not the most exciting or the most fluent innings that you'll ever see and I think it would also be fair to say that it wasn't the most uh, forensic examination of his technique either as we say very flat pitch not the most penetrative bowling attack in the world so you know obviously he's still got a lot of questions to answer but if you're talking about you know ability to produce under pressure in terms of both match situation and personal situation then this really was uh, a superb effort Ingham were under a lot of pressure and Compton was under a lot of pressure personally so there's not a lot that you can fault about that innings I don't think Uh, what about the bowling performance because again perhaps not the most eye-catching performance that England's bowling attack has ever produced. There was nothing in the pitch for them. And, and this is something that struck me. You know, it, it did seem to be that the same people who were refusing to praise England's batsmen for their second innings performance were at the same time criticising England's bowlers for not ripping through New Zealand. Yeah, exactly. You can't have it both ways, can you? Uh, obviously, a big blow losing Swan. I mean, some concern now about the summer. <sighs> I don't know. Is, is, it, you know, is it the start of another flint-off? It certainly sounds worrying, you'd have to say, this elbow injury that it was troubling him against South Africa in the summer, troubled him in India, although he still bowled very well there. And yeah, he's gone for surgery now. Not, not the best kind of injury for a bowler, really, the elbow. Yeah, slight concern there. Yeah, so it's a, a real race against time now for him to be fit for the Ashes. Monty Panazar came in, didn't have a lot of joy. Again, there was absolutely nothing there in the pitch for him. But maybe that is uh, concerning in the sense that Swan has always been very good at taking wickets in unfriendly conditions, or at the very least, you know, doing a job, chipping away or providing control. You know, a lot of people have been calling for Panazar to play more. Some people even say that he should be playing ahead of Swan, which is kind of bonkers to me. But um, you know, all the success that Panazar has had lately has been in very spin-conducive conditions. The question is whether he can do the same job in um, less friendly parts of the world, whether he can do that Swan job. And obviously, you know, you don't want to write him off on the basis of this one game, but that's just going to be an interesting thing to um, observe as the series progresses. As far as the other bowlers are concerned, I thought um, in patches, Stuart Broad bowled better than I've seen him bowl for a long time. Certainly bowled quicker than he has for about a year. So that was encouraging, although he still wasn't exactly setting the world alight in terms of wickets. But when the series moves on to Wellington and Auckland, there'll be much more there for the bowlers. So... um Ultimately, they're just going to be quite grateful to move on from Dunedin. I would have thought. We said it in the preview, but Anderson Finn Broad has got to be, has got to, has just simply got to produce. I think there's there's no way in the next two tests they're not going to they're not going to have New Zealand out cheaply at least once. Well, speaking of New Zealand, I mean they're probably going to be pretty deflated having failed to win this game. You know they they had England on the ropes with two days left to play, so to have to settle for a draw at the end of it all will be disappointing. It, it may well feel like a defeat but when the dust settles there are going to be a lot of things that they can feel pleased about nobody gave them a prairie so uh, so to have taken a, a first innings lead of, of essentially 300 was a, a tremendous effort fabulous innings from Hamish Rutherford on debut in the one day series it sort of looked like England had worked him out you know it looked like there were a few holes in his technique they were bowling short to him and he was kind of nicking off 
Um, but in this game, he was equal to everything they, they threw at him, played the short ball very well, and his cover drive is, is glorious. So uh, that was a, an extremely eye-catching performance uh, in his first game. Yeah, that was, that, I mean, that was a great innings. There was some good passages of play, weren't there? I, I really enjoyed the, the, uh, yeah, the start of the fourth morning, you know, McCullum teeing off. Uh, it was very entertaining. A good hour of cricket, that. We smashed a couple of sixes, didn't he? Yeah. Hoisted one over deep square leg. It was, it was great to hear uh, you know, Bob Willis was on commentary at the time and every six kind of he was just getting more annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> he, I think he was on commentary with Nick Knight though so while it was great to hear Willis it was perhaps less great to hear Knight going has he got enough of it? Yes. Yeah, Knight yeah. was... I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. In spite of all the letters I've been writing, he's got a, he's got a new catchphrase as well, as well as, <laughs> has he got enough of it? He's, I heard him go, has he got a little bit of glove on it? No. <laughs> he's going uh, to be front and centre in the ashes, you know that. Well, I don't know if that's true because, I mean, we're still missing from the Sky roster, Hussain, Holding, Gower's not there. Moore will be there presumably in the summer. Exactly, so is there room for night? Good question. Has he done enough? Has he done enough? <laughs> we got a tweet this week from uh, Matt, Matt W. He says in reference to Knight, is he repeatedly calling both them Sir Ian in a tongue-in-cheek way? It's not The Apprentice, Nick, he says. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it does seem, when Knight's on commentary, he's just like, what do you think about that, Sir Ian? Over to you, Sir Ian. Which is like, <laughs> yeah, I, I replied to Matt. I said, uh, just saying that it's, it is something that really really irritates me it really annoys me on the on the apprentice everyone calling him sir alan yes sir alan well now lord i hate the lord it's nonsense yeah now it's lord isn't it yes lord Sh- yes lord sugar if i was on the apprentice i'd just call him sugar i'd call him lord sir alan uh, <laughs> yes lord sir alan um but yeah i said that it really annoyed me and matt replied yeah though i do like the fact that even though they must have known each other for years both of them has never said just ian it's fine <laughs> Nick Knight probably had you on and was like, oh, you're right, Ian. He's like, sir, now. Yeah, he's probably like, is it okay if I call you Ian? And he went, no. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not on air. Always Sir Ian on air. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It is great to have Willis back, though. Uh, he's, he's a brilliant commentator, I think. When I was younger, I used to find Willis really dull. But as I've got older, as I've got older and he's stayed exactly the same age... Yeah. I've done a complete 180 on him because I think he's brilliant. He's got great insight. He's funny. He's not afraid to criticise big players, but he only does it when it's warranted. No, uh, I agree. I, I've always, I've actually always been a big fan of Willis. I love his just his sense of exasperation at times. Yeah, it's just the, the sense that he's one of those. He's one of those kind of ex-pro pundits who just he, he knows that he'd still be able to do a better job if he was out there. <laughs> like there's some people. Yeah, like boycott, you know. I like these. I like these people just so furious at times. I also, Willis just comes out with some absolute gold. <laughs> the thing about Willis is that he often not only sounds uh, really exasperated with what he's watching, but there's also it's just edged with an exasperation that he's having to commentate on it at all. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like way beneath him. But but I really like that about him, and I yeah, I, I just think he's great. I tell you who else is brilliant. As a pundit... Tony Kerr? <laughs> not Tony Kerr, no. Uh, is Steve Harmison. They've just got him in the studio. And yeah, he's he's really good. He's got great, great insight. But yeah, just coming back to the cricket itself. So we move on from Dunedin now. Everyone decamps to Wellington. 
ahead of the second test, which starts there on Thursday. That's Thursday in New Zealand. Uh, so when is that? Sometime yesterday afternoon? I'm going to use the word tone. Momentum. Momentum. Who's got it? Uh, oh, I don't know. Ever so slightly, I'd say the momentum is still with New Zealand. That's interesting because that's probably um, in contrast to what a lot of the pundits are saying. An, an, an awful lot of the pundits are now saying that England are the ones with the momentum carrying through from their second innings performance. But you think that now that the dust has settled, New Zealand will be the happiest side based on events yeah. of the game? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think, you know, England having the momentum is the obvious answer. Yeah, obviously, England were heavy favourites going into this series. I think New Zealand, on the basis of them, on the basis of them going into the series on the way to a 3-0 whitewash uh, reverse, as I thought... You know, for them to, to get a draw is a good result, so they're edging at the moment. I suppose so, and they've certainly um, shocked England. They, they've definitely given them a bloody nose in this game. I, I don't think England would have been expecting them to play so well. Certainly England supporters weren't expecting them to play so well. So yeah, it's, it is true that New Zealand will be feeling more confident. They'll be going into um, the second test feeling, yeah, we can compete with these guys, we can win, and England will be thinking, well, you know, yeah, these guys can beat us. So it, it looks like a much more evenly balanced series now. I mean, I still would expect England to win the series as conditions perhaps get more favourable for the bowlers. You, you'd still say that England do have the superior bowling attack. So you'd imagine that they will sort of get in amongst New Zealand a bit more easily than they did in the opening game. So I'd still back England, but uh, it looks less certain than perhaps it did a week ago. You predicted 3-0, of course, Tone. I predicted 2-1. Neither of those results can happen. <laughs> yeah, we're both tossing our betting sets away there. Both tearing up our reputations as well. Around the world now, in which we talk about things that have been happening around the world. Now let's head out to India, where the third test of the series between the home side and Australia is about to get underway in Mahali. Australia are 2-0 down with two to play. They fell to another heavy defeat in the second test in Hyderabad after hundreds from Murali Vijay and Chiteshwar Pajara. Australia were bowled out for just 131 in their second innings. That was a very disappointing performance from them. But anyway, the, the major story in the build-up to this third test has, has been off the field. It's been the axing of four Australian players for reasons that many have found to be quite contentious. Uh, probably the easiest thing I can do, I think, is just to read this article from Crick Info. <laughs> uh, just to save me having to put it into my own words. Watson leaves tour after Australia acts four, which sounds like a poem. Australia's tour of India went into crisis mode on Monday, with the team management axing four players, including vice-captain Shane Watson from the third test in Mahali, for ignoring team orders following the defeat in Hyderabad. The other three players are James Pattinson, Mitchell Johnson and Usman Kawaja. Hours after that announcement by the coach Mickey Arthur came news that Watson was heading home, though Cricket Australia insisted it was connected with the birth of his first child. The four players were told by Arthur of the unprecedented decision on Monday morning. After the Hyderabad loss inside three and a half days, Arthur asked every member of the squad to let him know three points on how their individual performances and those of the team could be improved. The players were informed of the task on Tuesday night and were asked to ensure it was done by Saturday evening. Every other player completed the requirements, either by emailing or texting Arthur their points, or by slipping a note under his door. However, as of Monday morning, the four players had neglected to comply. Arthur, Captain Michael Clark, and team manager Gavin Dovey met and discussed how to handle the situation and decided that it needed to be a line-in-the-sand moment. After Hyderabad, the whole team was really hurting. We were discussing ways of getting back into the series, said Arthur. I asked the players at the end of the game to give me an individual presentation. I wanted three points from each of them technically, mentally and team, how we were going to get ourselves back into the series. Unfortunately, four players didn't comply with, didn't comply with that. And Arthur continues in that vein, although possibly not in that accent. But um, just goes on to say he felt that it was uh, a really important thing to uh, to make a stand here and uh, and drop those players. What did you make of this then, Tane? It's been uh, it's been quite contentious, hasn't it? A lot of Australian fans very unhappy. Tasty story, isn't it? Difficult, difficult. Like, where do you start? I don't know. I, the, the four did they deliberately deliberately not still not do the do it, or did they just not get round to it? <laughs> oh, yeah. This is something that 
has been uh, a little bit unclear. I mean, I think now it's Watson has given a quote and Patterson has given a quote where, yeah, it does seem like they deliberately decided not to do it. But it's not immediately clear from the Cricket Australia uh, releases whether, yeah, they were like, no, we're not doing that, or whether they just forgot. Forget. And and also as you say is whether whether they you know maybe they didn't forget but maybe they just couldn't be bothered or maybe they you know just couldn't really think of anything or I don't know I mean yeah it's a very peculiar story you'd have to say but from what it, I've read now from from Watson and Pattinson it does seem like they were like no we're not doing that either because they they didn't think there was any point to it or they thought it was beneath them or I don't know I mean I think I can understand why Shane Watson didn't want to do it because um, the last time he had to write an essay he got a paper cut and he was out for six weeks. Um, but the others may be less of an excuse. It's, it's hard to know, isn't it? Really, clearly, this task was uh, was seen to be you know, very serious by the coaching staff and the you know and the, the, what do they call themselves, the leadership team or something? Like that. Yeah, the leadership squadron thought this was uh, you know an important thing for them to do, and clearly, clearly, would take it very seriously. Now, did did these players know how seriously it was being taken? You know, when they said, "Oh, actually, we don't really want to do this. We haven't done anything." What do you think they would have been expecting to be sent home? Does it does it expose a kind of you know a, a poor sense of team uh, team spirit in the Aussie camp, which you know I, I haven't really had a sense of in the last couple of years. It seems like things have been going in the right direction. Well, I think it's been a pretty disastrous tour of India so far, and things unravel is the word that springs to mind. One thing that seems odd about it is, as you say, did, did they know these players just how seriously it was being taken? Now, Mickey Arthur has sort of stressed that he did convey how serious he thought it was, but did they know that if they didn't get their homework in, they would be excluded from the next test match? And if they didn't, then it it seems quite unfair. And I think one of the reasons that the Australian public are so upset about this is because it does seem like quite a childish thing to do. It does seem like homework, or like they have this little assignment to do. And for Australia to sort of compromise the quality of their test team because of this one assignment does seem pretty ridiculous and you you can understand why people are angry about it but on the other hand you know the coach is in charge you have to respect his authority even if you make it clear that you're doing so under protest you know it wasn't a very difficult or very time-consuming task I wouldn't have thought they could have done this and as they handed the assignments in said I think this is ridiculous but still do it and the actual fact of what it is that's at the root of this is not irrelevant but to an extent irrelevant, because you, you wonder whether people would be so upset if it was a different issue that they were disrespecting the coach's authority on. Well, I mean, like, yeah, exactly. You, you know, if the coach would say, oh, yeah, you've got to do this particular warm-up, you presumably the, the players would kind of heed that and, and, and follow follow those instructions. It's no different, is it? No, absolutely. And so you can understand why Mickey Arthur would look at them disobeying this directive and saying, well, they need to be sanctioned. The question is whether dropping them is an appropriate sanction. And, you know, Michael Clark has said that it's not just this, there's other things um, that have happened. This was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. But maybe they need to clarify exactly what those other things are if they want the Australian public to, to get on board with them here. Because it is hard not to have some sympathy with those players, particularly Kawaja and Johnson, because neither of them have played either of these test matches. So if their assignment is to write down ways that they can improve. They might as well just write, you know, maybe we can improve by getting on the field. It does raise some concerns, I think, about the Mickey Arthur regime and, in some ways, the Michael Clark captaincy as well. You know, obviously, Clark is a, a, an extremely good tactician. He's a very good captain on the field. He's a great batsman, unbelievably prolific since he became captain. But how is he off the field? And if you remember, before he became captain, he was quite often at the centre of... Uh, dressing room controversies you know this is the first thing that's really emerged in that way since he became captain but already there have been stories that he and Shane Watson don't get on at all it does kind of uh, put a spotlight on something that Australia would probably rather not have a spotlight on and you don't want your captain to be causing problems in the dressing room and there, there will be questions about that now well yeah certainly and ultimately uh, you know ultimately it doesn't really help the Aussie cause I mean they couldn't be doing much worse could they in this series so far yeah, Shane Watson not necessarily performing out of his skin in the last you know, so far, but still, yeah, a very good player and a bit, and a big blow to lose. Yeah, I mean, he, as you say, has had a very poor series. So Australian fans might not be that upset about him, but James Pattinson has been the only seamer 
on either side to have had any success. So that is a big loss. And they, they now go down to a squad of 12 for the third test. Steve Smith is almost certainly going to have to play, so that's another huge blow. Um, <laughs> India are going to be laughing their socks off, aren't they? Yeah, oh, I mean, India, India have got two more tests uh, in which they're probably thinking, you know, the likes of Ashwin is thinking, how many wickets can I take? And Pajara's thinking, you know, how many hours am I going to bat for? If Australia get anything out of this series, it'll be, you know, a masterstroke from the, the, uh, the management group. But... Unlikely to, you'd say. You just came incredibly close to the screen there a couple of times, then. I don't know. <laughs> I just rearranged it. <laughs> you just, just sat up and I just had a, a screen full of forehead there. <laughs> Much like Justin Bieber's recent show at the O2 Arena, this episode of the World Cricket Show has been a huge disappointment that's left a lot of people very angry. It's probably about time, therefore, that we brought it to an end. Well, I mean, yeah, late on stage. Yeah, later than build. There's a lot of parents outside waiting to pick up their kids. <laughs> <laughs> Angry parents. I don't know if we've ever mentioned that we have a studio audience of children that, uh, <laughs> when we record the show. They say they keep very quiet. I know, not as much laughter as uh, perhaps we hoped for. The gags go right over their heads, I think. <laughs> yeah. All, yeah. All those Eastleigh by-election gags that we were cranking out <laughs> last week, they just, just don't really get it. But they keep coming back. So what are you going to do, Adam, with your slow day tomorrow? Another... another... Holiday, but you're not going to be at work. I'm not going to be at work, no. They it's are. a joke. It's an absolute joke. <laughs> it's funny, the contrast between me and you in these snow days is quite funny. Because <laughs> your job is much more stressful than it normally is. And my job doesn't happen at all. No, that's good. I've got to, I'm going to be setting my alarm for 4.30 tomorrow morning. Well, that's in eight hours. Eight hours, lovely. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. I've had no, very little sleep today. Would say I've been more tired for sure, but I'm getting there. I think you've done well. I think you've uh, you've uh, held up an end quite well. <laughs> yeah. You've just you're like Ashley Giles, just tying up one end while I uh, I steam in from the other end. <laughs> I made a cracking snowman today. Me and me and my mates did. Just me and my mates. Today, and I was just hanging out with, with my friends yeah. um, on this snow day. We were just larking about. Uh, I was just having a community mate. That's the worst thing. <laughs> <laughs> just delivering vital information to the community. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I made a great snowman, and there's some talk of building an igloo tomorrow. Well, I'll be, I'll be the first one to uh, to report on it when it collapses on you. I'm <laughs> <laughs> delighted in it. Local idiots trapped in igloo collapse. Yeah. What would you be called in the news? You'd be like, igloo collapse victims or something. Igloo collapse idiot. Igloo collapse man. Yeah. Igloo Collapse Bayfield speaks out. Well, yeah, you are. You're meant to be going away at the weekend, aren't you? If the snow clears from the runway by Thursday. I'm very confident. Now, what is this weekend? It's a stag do, is it? A stag party. Yeah, a bachelor party for those of you in the Americas. <laughs> those of you in the America. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's no, a little, just a little, uh, little stag party. It's gonna be. It's gonna be interesting. Well, it's where going to be interesting, that's oh, I don't know how much you want to talk about it, but no, I don't know. I just yeah, it's 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 pretty standard fare, I think. Prague. <laughs> it's, a, it's a standard uh, stag party, just a four day trip to Prague. Yeah, well, I think it's Prague very popular with stag parties. I've never been. I do worry. I, I'm slightly concerned. I'll try and take in as much of the cricket as I can. Well, I'm not going on this stag party because because uh, I have to work on Saturday, so. And there you go, Tony, you have your own back. Uh, I'll be at work and you'll be frolicking, but in a different way. Um, have you got T-shirts sorted out for the weekend? Has someone sorted out T-shirts for you? I don't believe so. Not as far as I'm aware. I will refuse to wear it. I've been through... If that means I get sent home from the tour, then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been on planes before where people are going on stag parties. And I mean, it's indescribable how annoying they are those people but uh they're, they're wearing t-shirts that have nicknames on the back and yeah. like it's always like there's people like big z and uh what i saw was spittle <laughs> which i'm not sure i want to know why he's called that but uh, i wonder what nickname you'd be given uh i don't know pundit <laughs> that'd be quite a good nickname there comes pundit is that, that's what it sounds like. That's what your name would be if you're in the X Men. Yeah, yeah, or Top, or Top Gun. The most underwhelming of the X Men. Oh, here comes Cyclops, Storm, Beast, Pundit. <laughs> but 
they've got all these powers and you just uh, give your prediction on what's going to happen in Sri Lanka v Bangladesh. Xavier, or whatever he's called, can cope with that. Professor Charles Xavier. Uh, no, I'm pretty confident of getting away. It's one and a half degrees at the airport at the moment. That snow is melting rapidly, <laughs> hopefully. Well, if I look out the window here, hang on. If I look out the window... Yeah, it's... I can... I can actually see, I can actually see the snow melting. Like there's there's water it? running off the roof. Literally. But, yeah, literally, Tony, quite literally. But there's so much snow that I imagine tomorrow will still be pretty chaotic. A lot of businesses still closed, but maybe by Thursday things might be yeah, back to normal. Well, the thing is, and this is going to bore the listeners, we're going to get to forensic detail now of the, okay. the weather. But, uh, you know, there's going to be no more snow falling. Uh, by tomorrow morning, it's going to be three degrees. Well, it's going to be three degrees, apparently, by, by midnight, uh, and up to four by, by tomorrow morning with sunshine. So, mate, that snow is going to be melting all over the place. Flooding, that's the next story. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, so you, you should get away on Thursday. Yeah. And it sounds like it's going to be a bit of a uh, eventful weekend. So the question's got to be asked, will you actually be here for a podcast next week? I might be doing it by Skype from a Czech prison. <laughs> yeah. So, I was going to say, yeah, you get one phone call and it's for 45 minutes of cricket chat. (laughs) Well, that should make for a good episode. But between now and then, uh, if you like the show, uh, then you don't have to bottle up those feelings. There are a number of things that you can do to act upon those feelings. First thing is probably worth pointing out that this has been a a somewhat strange episode. I I apologise if the audio quality hasn't been great. I apologise for the quality of the punditry as well. Well, not all of us have got superpowers in these things. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but yeah we, we didn't really have much choice in the matter this is what we had to do yeah so if you're a new listener next week we should be back to normal and also you might care to check out our back catalogue of episodes where the audio quality uh, will be better than this but yeah we'll be back next week with a, a proper show if you check out our website www.cricketshow.net um, on there you can purchase World Cricket Show t-shirts they're just £15 which includes free shipping to anywhere in the world uh, and £15 is about 22 or 23 I think, dollars US and Australian, somewhere around there. And if you're not in any of those countries, Google it is my advice. A really good thing that you could do for us if you, if you feel like being nice is leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, we really appreciate those. Lots of people have been doing that recently, so thank you to all of you guys. Shall we mention this? We got, we got a, uh, a really positive review this week which was a five-star review, and then all of a sudden it changed to a one-star review. And the, the review is still the same. See, so yeah, it's possible that someone gave us a five-star review and then listened to another episode and suddenly changed their mind. If you're going to give us a one-star review, at least slag us off. But anyway, yeah, so you can do that. If you like, send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash cricketshow. I posted a picture of me playing cricket in the snow, so you might like to check that out. I'll, I'll post a picture of the, the great snowman, that I made. I'll post a picture of all the fun that I've been having uh, while Tony's been at work. You can follow us on Twitter as well. At Cricket Show is essentially me. If you want to follow Tony, at Tony Cavera is where you need to go. T-O-N-Y-C-V-R-R. Now, there's been quite a controversy this week because London correspondent Gordon McRae has been forced into a humiliating U-turn after unfollowing Tony on Twitter. Can you believe that? Oh, it's been almost as controversial as the Hoon case i think the christine case it was uh yeah i mean there's a lot of uh a lot of confusion yeah was it a joke no it turned out to be true he did unfollow me then he claimed that he hadn't unfollowed me and then i got a notification to say that gordon mccray is now following you <laughs> so you know all the evidence points to the fact that he did actually unfollow me was it something i tweeted it can't have been because I didn't, I didn't tweet anything so. this could be the end of your friendship it, uh i've fallen out with people over less <laughs> Uh, but I'm now I'm now a prolific tweeter, Adam. I've, I've burst through a hundred tweets. Yeah, you were tweeting quite a bit during the cricket. Yeah, I've been tweeting some pictures of the snow as well in Guernsey. If you want to have a look at that, oh, I might well check those out. And yeah, when the uh, when the second test in Wellington starts, I'll be tweeting a lot. Tony will be tweeting as well. A lot of people like to get involved, join the debate, don't they? People like to join the debate. So if you're not on Twitter, perhaps uh, now would be a good time to sign up and uh, and get involved because it's all very exciting. It's kept me going. It's the only thing that's kept me going. But that's about it, I think. Stay in school, boys and girls. Hope the snow melts before Thursday so that Tony can get away to this weekend of debauchery that he's got lined up. Well, it's all, yeah, that's fingers crossed. 
I was going to say there might be quite a few stories on next week's show, but actually what will probably happen is there'll be quite a lot of... I'm, I don't want to talk about it. I can't talk, <laughs> I can't talk about it. All right, that's it then. Bye for now. Well done, guys. It happens to us all. It happens to us all. Each day, each year, yeah, yeah. I can smell your fear. Ba-da-da-ba-ba, Finding something to read? Uh, no, I'm just doing just doing some stuff. <laughs> just just, <laughs> no, just, just, just doing some other work. In some ways, it was quite a curious test match in general. I thought, Tane. Sorry, you can cough if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm just looking for the mic. Can you hear it if I do that? <clears throat> I can, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's all right. Okay. Um, yeah, I was just taking my jumper off and I've, I'm literally wearing a World Cricket Show t-shirt. Only £15, including free shipping to anywhere in the world. Or whether that person that wrote the review uh, suddenly changed his mind. Tony's just taking a picture of me there with his phone. Yeah, I just made you full screen. <laughs> That's a bit alarming. I forget that you can see what I was saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh good that's what you want to hear when someone takes a picture of you <laughs> can you see that <laughs> okay that's really the reaction that you're looking for when someone takes a photograph of you it's just I'm hysterical laughter hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm